Thank you, Jason. You probably came expecting Mark and a a motivational Father's Day message from Mark this morning. He's not here. He's on vacation. You've got me. Happy Father's Day. I don't know about the inspirational part, but I will try to avoid what I heard happen to one fill-in preacher. He got up and he... He just preached his heart out. When he got three, he went to the back to greet people on the way out like we, we often do. A little girl came by, a small girl, and she looked up and said, Mr. Preacher, when I get to be big, I'm going to give you some money. He was taken with that. And, well, I must have said something that touched her or, or something that impressed this young girl. So he puffed up a little bit and said, Well, why would you want to give me money? Well, my daddy just said, You're the poorest preacher we've ever had. I will try to avoid that distinction uh, this morning. When Mark asked me to fill in for him, he he quickly pointed out that it would be Father's Day translated, you've got to do a Father's Day message. That added a little extra pressure to the thing. uh, The reason when you stand up here and speak and somebody sits out, I've been out there enough times to know, you assume the person up here knows what he's talking about. You assume he's got some expertise on the subject. I am not an expert at parenting, I want to tell you. I've kind of fumbled through it like a lot of you have, and I've made a lot of mistakes as a parent. I'm no expert. I've got all three of my children over here. They're all here today, and all six of my grandchildren are here. So I'm in no hurry to leave. I'll be here a while today. But they could tell you stories uh, proving that I've made plenty of mistakes. I'm asking them in front of everybody today, don't do that. Uh, you weren't perfect kids, and I know stories on you, so it, it, it would do well It would do well if we make a pact. And, and, uh. Now, I'm proud of all three of them. I, I think they've turned out well. And that's not, a, that's not a reflection on my parenting skills. I think that's more of a statement of the power of prayer, what it is. And I think probably the most important thing any father can learn is that their most important weapon is, is prayer. The most important tool they have is prayer. It's something that a father should learn to do often and regularly. Uh, so I will, I will say that with some authority. The rest of it, uh, I'm still learning as I go along. And I think there's some lessons in, the, in this story of Jairus that maybe give us some insights in, in being a little better parent. So I'd like to spend the next 45 minutes or so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, on that on that topic and see what we can what we can gain. Let, let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we've got this morning, and we we thank you for this lesson of Jairus. We pray that you will reveal to us things that we should know, things that we should apply in our lives, uh, in order to be not only more effective as as fathers, but to be a greater influence you uh, for you uh, throughout this community and, and with everybody that we come in contact with. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, Jairus, we know some things about him. First of all, he was a synagogue leader. Now, each synagogue had a leader. Sometimes he was called a president. Sometimes he was called head of the synagogue. He was selected from among the elders by a vote. 
it was a very responsible position. He would, uh, he would introduce visitors into the assembly. He would oversee the assemblies, make sure they were done properly. Make sure the scrolls, you know, they didn't have iPads. They had all these big scrolls. He made sure they were in order, organized like they should. It was a, it was a very responsible position. The entire facility uh, was under his direction. He, he looked after and saw to. Um, he was, in all likelihood, Jairus, because of that position, was also a man of means, probably well above average income and assets in the community. And we also know that he was a father. He had a daughter, and she was about 12 years old. Uh, now, it's not specifically mentioned, but I think we don't uh, have to stretch it too far. We can say with some certainty that he was a father who was very worried and very concerned. I know sometimes as fathers we get the reputation of not being worriers. I know Linda's pointed out to me before, I just don't worry. On behalf of the fathers, let me speak to the mothers for just a minute. We worry, okay? Fathers worry. We may be a little better at hiding it, but we worry. And I think that Jairus is extremely worried at this point. He may have been well off financially. He may have had respect within the community. He may have had close friends that were priests close friends that were rabbis. But none of that would help him. He was worried sick. And we see the, the first lesson we learned from Jerson in your handout, the first lesson, regardless how much you have, there are situations that you cannot control. It's important for us to recognize those things that we, we can control and the things that we can't. You know, when, uh, when the kids are little, oftentimes they come to you with a simple request, and that is, fix it, Daddy. Fix it. You know, they bring you a toy they broke or something that doesn't work right, and you take it and you fix it, and they feel good, they go away happy, and you feel like you're quite a father, right? And then they get older, and they come to you and they say, Fix it, Daddy. But it's not a toy any longer. It's a situation, or it's a relationship, or it's a health issue, or it's something else, and you can't fix it. You just can't do it. You'd like to. You'd love to fix it for them. When you see your kids suffer, when you see them, you know, they're saddened, you see that, and the thing you want more than anything else is to be able to fix it. But sometimes we just can't. All we can do is just suffer right along with them. And I think that we know and we can see just how desperate Jairus was and because of what he does. Let's see what he did as, as we go through this story. First of all, he starts out looking for He goes out to find Jesus. I think Jairus had a plan. He knew that Jesus had some power to heal. He'd heard about that, I'm sure. And so he decides, what I'll do is I'll get up and I'll go find him. And I'll beg him to come back home with me. And if I can get him back home with me, then maybe we can get this thing fixed. He's wanting to fix the situation. Now, that's a risky thing for Jairus to do. Remember, he's a synagogue leader. How popular was Jesus among the synagogue people? Not very popular, was he? They didn't. They were very suspicious of him. They thought he was wanting to do away with the old law. They thought he had no respect for the old law. So here Jairus goes out to, to look for him. Remember when, uh, when Nicodemus went out and sought him, when did he go? He went at night. Why did he go at night? So there wouldn't be so many witnesses. But not Jairus. When he goes, he goes in broad daylight. And he goes with the crowds all around. Now that's a risky thing for him to do. Because he's made himself very vulnerable. Here he is, the synagogue leader, pursuing Jesus. 
And when he sees him and finds him and he goes up to him, he doesn't go up and stand face to face with him and talk to him, does he? No. He goes up and immediately gets down on his knees. He goes to his knees and starts to beg him. I'm sure that raised some eyebrows. Jairus, what are you doing? The synagogue leader, and you're on your knees begging this carpenter's son, this troublemaker, this guy that doesn't respect the traditions you're doing that. You see, his whole, his whole position in the community is not risk. What's it going to mean? I think that gives us an idea of just how desperate he was. It didn't matter to him. It didn't make any difference. He's going to beg him because he knows that's the only place he can get any help. And so he'll risk all those other things. Um, as you look at this and you visualize the situation, you've got Jesus standing and you've got Jairus on his knees in front of him begging him for something. Now, what does that symbolize to you? What does that sound like to you? I call that prayer. What do you, prayer is just communicating with God, is it not, in a humble fashion. That's what he's doing. He's falling down before Jesus, making a request to him. I, I see this as prayer, something that every father should do. He found Jesus, went right down to his knees, and he prayed. And what was his request? Jesus, come home with me. Come home with me and help my daughter. He, the second lesson that we learn um, from Jairus is the first step for a father is to pursue Jesus and to pray. A father needs to know the most important thing that he can do is seek Jesus without any concern of what others may think and to make his request known to Jesus. Now, he may know already what it is, but he wants to hear you verbalize it. He wants to hear you tell it. I don't think we can give our children anything more important than the example of pursuing God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what he's doing here now. And his risk paid off because once he begs Jesus and he gets up to go, Jesus is following him. Jesus is going back home with him. So his mission accomplished as far as Jairus was concerned. He must have thought, you know, we may get this thing fixed after all. Now there's hope where there had been no hope before because he has Jesus with him. But as so often happens in life, detours come up. Just when things seem to be going well, then something else pops up. In this case, the detour um, was a woman who, who had a health issue, and she was also desperate for Jesus. Now, one of the things that we have to learn early, I believe, whenever we're going to call on Jesus to help us, we need to learn patience. Because Jesus doesn't view time like we do. You see, time controls us. We've only got a limited amount of it. So time controls us. But Jesus controls time. He's not limited by it. So he doesn't operate the same way we do with time. We need to learn patience. And, and here Jesus stops as they're going along. Then they, then they stop. And he is distracted by what's taking place around him. Somebody's touched him. He asked his disciple, who was it? Remember the story is... Jason read. We're not going to go into great detail there, but he, but he stops. Now, in my mind, I'm sitting here focusing on Jairus, and I'm wondering what's he's, what he's doing in that, in that crowd. What do you think he's doing? I can see him. Can you visualize him? He's probably on one foot and then another. Come on, get on with this, checking his watch, you know, how long is this going to take? If I can nudge him, maybe he starts talking. You know, maybe we need to get going. He's impatient, isn't he? Here, he didn't want to stop. He had a mission, and he's going along, and now all of a sudden Jesus seems to be totally distracted, not paying any attention to his problem anymore. And he's concerned about that. Let's get this show on the road. And then while he's there waiting, 
listening to the dialogue that's taking place with Jesus and the disciples and then the woman who was healed eventually, he gets the worst possible news that a parent can get. In verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Jesus hears that. But on hearing this, Jesus answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be healed. We are at a very critical point in this event, in this story. We are at the point that everything hinges on what happens in the next minute or two. Jairus is faced with a decision that he's going to have to make. We need to see what it was that he decided. Now, the very last words in John, his gospel, uh, chapter 21, beginning in verse 25, says, Now there, were, uh, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the whole world itself couldn't contain the books that would be written. Have you ever stopped to think about with all those events, and we have relatively few, why were these recorded and all these others not recorded? Sometimes I think it comes down to a critical point within the event, something that somebody says or something that he does or how he responds to a very critical issue at a critical time, and that will determine whether or not it's recorded or whether it's lumped in with all those other events that took place that we really don't know anything about. Jairus is at that point right now. Um, he hears his friend. He hears the friend talk to him in one ear. He hears him, and the friend is saying, your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. The friend's got a message, and his message is hopelessness. His message is there is no more hope. Uh, there's a saying today that I don't particularly like. It, it is what it is. I, I don't like that saying because it implies that that's the point here. It, it means... It's already been done. There's nothing you can do about it. Nothing can change this. There's no changing this event. It's over. You failed, Jairus. You failed. You're too late. It's all gone. That was the message he's hearing in one ear from the friend, but yet in the other ear from Jesus, he's hearing another message. Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Now, Jesus' message to Jairus is simple. He's saying, trust me. Jairus, trust me. With Jesus, there's always, with me, there's always hope. Jairus, trust me. Now, all the evidence is on the side of the friend. You've got a body there. You can examine it. The body's dead. And the physical evidence says the friend is right. There's no reason for Jairus to believe anything else. But yet, regardless of the physical evidence, Jesus is saying, trust me. That's what Jairus has to decide. Is he going to trust the physical evidence or is he going to trust Jesus? What's he going to do? It's a difficult decision. He could very easily have just dismissed Jesus then, like the friend said. I think he could have, and if he had, it probably would have been one of these events recorded that John talked about that we didn't know anything about. He probably would have gone away playing the if-only game. You know that game? You ever play that game? I've played that game. It's miserable. For Jairus, it would go something like this. If only I had pursued Jesus yesterday and not waited so long, then there would have been time and I'd have got him there. You know, if only I'd have said this to Jesus. Maybe, he, maybe I didn't communicate it well. He didn't understand the urgency. If only I'd have said it this way. If only I'd have taken another way home, I could have gone the other way and he had never met that woman. Wouldn't have been sidetracked. If only, if only, if only. We've, that's a game that we all like to play. It's a miserable game. And if you're playing it, I've just got a couple of words for you. 
Stop it. Just stop it. Because it's, it's not productive. All it'll do is destroy things. It's not a game that you can, that you can get anything out of. Um, at the heart of that game is the idea that we can control outcomes by our actions. That we control the situation. If I had done this, then this is what would have happened. Oh, really? Do you know that? Are you in control? I don't think so. At the core of it is the idea that we can control with our actions. Control is not within the power of an earthly father. Control is only within the power of a heavenly father. That's the only place. He's the only one in control. So there's nothing can come out of that game. Just let it go. The only thing it'll do for you, it'll just pile up guilt. You'll just feel guilty and just keep piling on more and more guilt because it was your fault. And also, it'll distract you from those things that you do control. Things like who you pursue. In this case, it was Jesus. From, it'll distract you from your prayer life, which you do control. It'll distract you from who you trust, which is within your control. So refuse to play it. Refuse to play it. It's, we, it's at this point that all fathers need to get to in order to be a good father. And that's our third lesson that we learned from the handout. Pursue, pursuing Jesus must be followed uh, by trusting him. See, it's not just enough to pursue Jesus, but you've got to get to the point where you trust him, where you can really trust him. A lot of people will pursue, and they'll pray. I've been guilty of this. Maybe you have too. Have you ever, have you ever pursued Jesus and laid one of your problems out for him in prayer and just laid it out and said, here it is. And here's what I need you to do, Jesus. You need to do this for me. And here's how you solve it. And, and this is the way I want it solved. And, and oh, yeah, I need it by next week, too, because I'm kind of, you know. So I want it solved this way. Here's how you do it. Lay it all out for him. It's all his. You know, give it to you. Here's how you do it. And here's when you do it. Right? Is that the way we pursue? That's the way we pursue. But that's not trust. Now, Jesus says, trust me. But when you trust me, it means that you've got to let me do it my way and on my time frame. Trust. And we know Jairus trusted by what he became because when you trust Jesus, you become something different. Let's look at that in the last part of this story. Verse 51. Now, when he came to the house... Now, this goes without saying. Jairus made the right decision. He made the right... He listened not to the evidence that was, that was given to him. He listened to Jesus because the story continues and they're still together. So he made the right decision. It's always the right decision to listen to Jesus, and he does. And so the story continues on toward his house. But, but there's a little subtle difference, subtle but I think very important, found in verse 51. Now, when he came to the house, Jesus did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. You know, that when the story started and Jairus first left the house, he was in control, wasn't he? He had a plan. He had a mission. He knew what he was going to do. Here's what's going to happen. One, two, I find him. I pray to him. I beg him. I get him home with me. You know, he had it all worked out. Jairus is kind of leading this story. But look how different things are now. When he gets back home, he's no longer leading. He's very obviously following. In fact, it says, we come back, it's all, it's all Jesus doing. By the time he gets home, Jesus is telling him exactly what's done. He's not even called by name. Notice that. He's just now the father of the child. He's no longer in control. Jesus is in absolute control now. The tables have completely turned. 
that's the fourth lesson that we need to learn on our handout. Trusting, deme- Jesus, trusting demands letting go and following Jesus. We at some point have to just totally let go of the situation and become a follower. And that's what he is now in the story. He's a follower. Because it's his. It's Jesus. It's not his anymore. The problem has all been given to Jesus. It's not easy to let go. We like to hang on. Fathers like to control things. And that's a lesson that we have to learn. We just have to learn to let go. And when he did let go, notice the response in verse 52, the people in the house. Now they were all wailing and mourning for her. But she said, stop your weeping. She's not dead, um, but asleep. Jesus said that. And they began making fun of him because they knew that she was dead. You know, when you trust Jesus enough to turn things over to him and following, there'll be scoffers. There'll be people that'll laugh. The, the negative messages that there is no hope and that it's too late and nothing can happen, those messages don't stop when you decide to trust Jesus. If anything, they get louder. Satan sees to that. They're going to get louder to try to distract you away from the commitment that you've made. But trust Jesus. Don't get distracted by the, by the negative. They laughed. They thought it was funny. There'll be plenty of people in your life willing to point out to you how foolish it is to trust Jesus. There is no hope of all the mistakes that you made. To point those out. But trust. And what happened when he, when he did not become distracted by that, when he continued to follow, what was the final result? He got his daughter back. Jesus gently took her by the hand and said, Child, get up. Her spirit returned and she got up immediately. Then he told them to give her something to eat. He got his daughter back. I don't know. It didn't say. But I just kind of visualized a great party going on at Jerry's house that night. There was some real celebration going on. When we learn to trust Jesus and turn things over to him, ultimately there's a great celebration. A great celebration. Now, don't misunderstand that. Hear me what I say. I, I'm not saying that when you turn things over to Jesus, every situation is going to be fixed just like you want it fixed. And, just, and it's going to be fixed just in the time you want it fixed. But what I'm saying is when we trust Jesus, ultimately there will be great celebration. Um, Romans 8:28 says, And we know, that, we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and who are called according to his purpose. Can we trust Jesus on that? I don't always understand that verse. Uh, I can't always figure out how and things happen, and I don't see possibly how, any, how that could ever be to my good, that it could be worked out. Sometimes it doesn't appear that Jesus is working on it at all. He's distracted with something else. But that's where trust comes in. That's what trust means. It means that the evidence may not suggest it, but I know it's true, and I know it'll happen. And so I trust him, and I know that in the end it will work for my good, and there will be celebration. So we see four things that a father, four things that a father should do. He should realize that he's not in control of all situations. We should realize that uh, the father should pursue Jesus and pray. Fathers need to be patient, and fathers need to trust Jesus enough to turn things over to him and just be a follower. If we're following Jesus and our children are following us, we'll know they're on the right path. One thing that a father cannot, cannot do and can never do, and that's quit, to give up. There are three things that a father should never give up on. One, he should never give up on the child. 
They'll make their own decisions. You know, that's one of those things you can't control. You can't make decisions for them. As they get older, they're going to make their own. Some are going to be good. Some are going to be not so good. Some could be downright awful at times. But we never give up on them. Remember the story of the prodigal son. What a great story that is, Luke chapter 15. In that, Jesus talks about God's love and compassion for us as our Father. And in turn, it models for us the love and compassion that we should have for our children. And in that, in that story, in about verse 20, it says that the father looked and saw the son afar off on his way home. Afar off. Now, that boy had been gone a long time. He'd been gone months and months and months. You think that father just, by coincidence, just so happened... He happened to be looking on that road on that particular day, after all those months, just in time to see him way far off, do you think? I guess maybe, but I doubt it. You know what? I think that father looked at that road every day. I think he looked at it several times a day. I think every time he went by that window, every time he went by that door and saw that road, he looked way off. Maybe he's coming. I think he visualized the day when he would come home. I think he, he dreamed about the day that he would come home. One of the things we need to always make sure our children know is how far away, it doesn't matter how far away they get, they're always welcome home. They can always come back. And we always are eager for them to come back. So we never, ever give up on our kids. Continue to watch that road. And we never give up on Jesus. He may take his time doing it, and the evidence may suggest he's not working on it, but we've got to trust Romans eight twenty eight. Never give up on Jesus. He'll do things his way and in his time, and it will be for our benefit. So never give up on him. And finally, never give, a father should never give up on himself as a father. I'm afraid too many fathers want to give up on themselves. Have you made mistakes? Yeah, you have. Hey, are you going to make some more? I've got some bad news for you. Probably yes. You know, you probably will. Can you change those mistakes? Can you go back and redo them? No. Wish I could. There's some things I'd like to do different. But they're done. I can't go back and change them. That's just the way it is. But can I overcome them? That's the thing. The answer to that is yes, you can. There'll be many people who will tell you, no, you can't. But trust Jesus. He says you can. You can overcome them. You overcome them, uh, you overcome them by being transformed into something different. That's how you overcome them. And remember what Jesus also said in later places. He says, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. So God can, can bring about change in your life and make you different. Yeah, you can't overcome those mistakes you made. Never underestimate the influence and the power of a life that's being transformed into the nature of Jesus. It's a powerful thing. It has great influence on the children. And that's how we, that's how we become the Father we should be, is by allowing Jesus to transform us into his nature. We're fixing to sing a song, I think. Ben, you got one? Do you have some need this morning? If you do, you can make that known to us. We'll be happy to pray for you. Maybe you've got some guilt that's built up. Maybe you need to turn something over to Jesus. Maybe you want us to pray with you over that and learn to trust Him more and to turn things over to Him. Maybe you've never started the transformation process. You know, maybe I'm talking to you about being transformed and you say, how do you do that? Well, you do it by, by participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through baptism. There you're united with him, and he gives you his spirit, and that spirit starts a transformation process. Sounds strange, doesn't it? People say, that's nuts. 
trust Jesus. Don't trust me on that. That's what he says happens. And he'll begin to change you. And, and if you haven't started that transformation process, that's the first thing you need to do to be the kind of father that you